hey, summarizing the diving, uh, discipleship, and spiritual apprentice series season one. This is the second session. We had the second session this week, and I'm excited to summarize for you so that you can continue your study in God's word. And for some of you that are not following the course, this is helpful anyway because it allows you to also learn and and gain you can still register you can still sign up for the course it'll be a great blessing the description and everything will be uh literally the link will be in the description uh below so now okay let's dive into this so last week we shared on uh you know viewing christ in the light of the gospels and we said that there are four gospels matthew mark luke and john we explored why we have these four gospels but this week we focus exclusively on the gospel according to Matthew. I'm going to try and do my best to keep this precise. Matthew, uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ, really called by Jesus Christ. His job was he was a tax collector. And um, while wow, back in the day, that was not a job that the Jewish people really liked because, of course, um, he was seen as a publican. And so uh, he, he was seen as the, that role was oppressive you know, in that sense. So it's, it's even the grace of God that literally picks Matthew to communicate. And we can say that Matthew's main focus is to reveal Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, the son of Abraham, as the rightful king of Israel. Imagine, journey with me, 400 years. Can you imagine 400 years of no revelation, 400 years of no prophecy, or prophet, 400 years of no messenger, 400 years of no angelic encounter, 400 years of no spiritual encounters. This was what preceded the book of Matthew. As you go from the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament recorded, Matthew, you don't just jump at pages. What you are turning is about 400 years of very pivotal history. This history is known as the intertestamental period or the years of silence, the intertestamental period. And it is characterized by the fact that there was no divine revelation. Can you imagine what it would look like to have lived without revelation, prophecy, edification, all of these things that we uh, we hold on to today. Well, this was the experience of the Jewish people. This is the thing that Matthew is attending to. It's important to know what Matthew is attending to as he opens up um, um, the account of Jesus Christ's Christ ministry uh, in the New Testament. When John comes on the scene and he begins, John the Baptist begins to say the things he says. There had been nothing like that for 400 years. It was completely strange. What happened in those 400 years was uh, very significant. There was a lot of change in Israel, spiritually, politically, and religiously. They went from um, uh, one experience to the other. Politically, um, they were governed by different empires. Under the Persian Empire, they were allowed to practice their faith. Um, really, that whole thing with the Persian Empire really started before the intertestamental period or the years of silence, you know, uh, it started before that, but then the, the Persian, should we say the Persian grace went up until the first hundred years of the intertestamental period. But then after that, Israel started to experience some real shift in how 
they were handled, whether it was through the whole Greek and Roman influence. And this influenced their, their, their experience of their, uh, their, their religion and the experience of even, should we say, their faith in God. When you study, you see some very important things that happen in that intertestamental period. You would see that um, it, one of the key things that happened was that the, the Old Testament, because of the heavily uh, the, the heavy in, uh, Greek, the heavy Greek influence, the Old Testament was translated, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated uh, into, into Greek, okay, and that's known as the Greek uh, Septuagint, okay, so you see that happening, and in spite, of, in spite of that happening, one of the things that really happened was that, you know, uh, the, the, the culture, the Greek culture mixed with you know the the Hebrew culture, so that it wasn't necessarily uh, you know just the purest form uh, in that sense of whether it was worship or whether it was relationship with God, because the Greek culture was worldly in that sense. And then you go on, and some of the the the, the real important things that happened. One of the experiences that the Israelites had was a particular king who rose up. In those days and what he did was that he literally desecrated the temple and he changed the line of priesthood his his name was uh, Antichius right Antichius desecrated the temple the the feeling the pain was such that it felt like Israel had been violated he uh, thought that they had been violated. He desecrated the temple, brought unclean animals into the into the temple, and literally tampered with with the with the with the priesthood. And so these are some of the things you know uh, uh, um, that that happened. They experienced a lot of a lot of a lot of mixture, you know, a lot of mixture, especially under the Roman government. And this mixture uh, did not did not help their experience of God. Wow, these are interesting uh, things that happened in this intertestamental period. But you know, in the midst of that, God was still working because we're not just going straight into Matthew without understanding what Christ is appealing to or what Christ is addressing or what the gospel according to Matthew is addressing here. Um, the By the time we are getting um, right into this inter intertestamental period, what you're beginning to find is that the Jewish people are tired, socially, spiritually, uh, politically tired, okay? They're tired, even the world around them is tired. So they are now actively looking forward to the Messiah. <laughs> they are just looking forward to it that the Messiah would come. But here we, here, here we are now. There is no, in a sense, divine activity, no prophecy, no angelic encounter, none of those things. But God was still working. It was interesting that in those times, even though they did not see it, one of the things that God was still doing was using the systems of the world at the time for the advantage. For example, the Romans were busy building roads which they did not know would be useful for the advancement of the gospel as the gospel evolved across nations. Another key thing was the centralizing of the language that was spoken at the time, Koine Greek. 
okay, which in, a, a lot of the New Testament is literally written in. So those things were still happening. But this is the setting in which Matthew is laid. There's no revelation for 400 years. The people despondent, the people hopeless. And literally now Matthew begins to capture the happenings of the day. And the first thing Matthew says, Matthew chapter 1, is to introduce Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he says, Jesus Christ, now watch this, Matthew chapter 1, uh, he says, Jesus Christ. He says, the, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, when I was younger in my faith and I would read about you know, this genealogy, I found it long. I was like, this person begat this and this person begat that. But then I started to realize that every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is profitable. So Matthew takes this time. He's, just, he's not just giving us this random information. No, he's introducing Jesus this way for a reason. And what is it that, that Matthew is really aiming at? His aim here is to present Jesus Christ um, as the king would they had expected. Now, he said that he's the son of David, Jesus Christ, the son of David. If you read, you know, 2 Samuel chapter 7, roundabout from verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God made a covenant with David and said that from his body, he, he will, come, uh, will come a seed, a son, and he will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for his name and establish his throne forever. God made an eternal covenant with David that David would have, would have a son that will build his house and that will establish his throne forever. It's interesting when you go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you see after the Holy Spirit has been poured out and Peter is trying to explain to these people who are marveled at what had happened. He literally references this scripture, um, Acts chapter 2 from verses 29 to 35. And he literally says that um, David was a prophet who knew God had sworn an oath that out of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he will raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. The prophecy that God gave David in 2 Samuel about a son sitting on, on, on his throne was not just a prophecy of Solomon. It was actually a prophecy of Christ. Okay, so what, what, what Matthew wants to carefully do here is to help us understand that this is the, the head to the throne of David. Now, this is when, he, when, when it came to, to Israel, Israel was, was um, uh, uh, sorry, David was Israel's prime king. When you, when you spoke about kingship in Israel, David was the reference point, right? He was a reference point of kingship, a man after God's heart. So what Matthew is keen to do here is to help us understand um, Jesus' royalty. Just as in the book of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews works so well to let us understand the, 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 the history of Jesus' priesthood, the links to his priesthood. Um, what Matthew is doing here is to help us understand the links to the royalty or the link to Christ's, uh, Christ's royalty. Or what Matthew is helping us do here is to, is to link Jesus to the throne of David, consequently uh, making Jesus the king of Israel. He's declared to be the son of David, linking him to Israel's throne. He is the legitimate, he is the 
authorized, he's the bona fide, he's the legal heir to the throne of David. God gave David a promise of an everlasting kingdom and that everlasting kingdom was about Christ. So when he says he's the son of David, he's not just saying, oh yeah, he's related to David. He's saying he's related to David, consequently is of royal descent, he's king. And then he goes on to now talk about how Jesus also, Matthew does that so well, uh, how Jesus also is the son of Abraham. You know, the promise of Abraham is quite interesting. While the promise of, 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 of David is the promise of royalty, the promise that God gave Abraham, if we look at uh, Genesis 12, verse 7, Genesis 12, 7, uh, Galatians 3, verse 16, the promise that God gave Abraham can be categorized into three parts. And it is the promise of land, it is the promise of, of territory, and it's the promise of nations and peoples. Okay, let's look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says, Go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who curse you. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. And, uh, and, and uh, whosoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So you can break it down into three. The Abrahamic promise is a promise of land, it's a promise of territory, and it's a promise of nations and peoples. And so when, when, when Matthew describes Jesus as a son of Abraham, what Matthew is saying is, is that Jesus Christ is linked to the land. See, the promise of David is the promise of kingship. And that links Jesus Christ to Israel's throne. Whereas the promise of Abraham is the promise of land territory, is the promise of nations and peoples. So the promise of Abraham links Jesus to the land of Israel, to the territory of Israel. Wow, this is so important what, what we are learning. It links him to Israel's land so all that matthew is doing here is to help us understand the legitimacy of jesus christ as israel's king israel's number one so the purpose of this genealogy in matthew chapter one is just it's, it's not it's not just a, a like a random uh, history lesson he's just saying look jesus is fully entitled to sit on david's throne okay he's of kingly descent this is, this is not just a thing of, oh, it's in the spirit. No, in the lineage, you know, a, a, a king uh, is, not, is, not, is, not, is not subject to democracy, right? You're a king because, of, because you have royal blood. What Matthew is trying to say here is that Jesus Christ has royal blood and he's keen to present him, keen to present him as the king of the Jews. It has a very, very, very Jewish relationship going on here of course we'll get to the point where we understand that now salvation is not just for the jews it's for the gentiles but this is where the story starts and god wants us to understand that the word says i'm not ashamed that the gospel of christ was the power of god unto salvation for everyone that that believes first the jew and then you know uh, the greek and 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 so on and so forth so now this is so important i want to show us one or two things uh, before I, I summarize uh, everything we've been speaking about so far. So when you when you read on now in Matthew chapter Ma Matthew chapter 2, you'd have seen in Matthew chapter 1 the genealogy, this introduction 
of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is born. And when Jesus is born, the Bible tells us the story of this wise man that come to visit Jesus. These wise men are Gentiles, okay? The, the Bible says that they had seen the star of Jesus Christ and they, they literally came uh, to, uh, they came to, to Israel to find out uh, whether, you know, they had seen the king that was born. Now, it's so interesting that these wise men, these Gentiles, when they came to Israel and they were brought before Herod and the elders of Israel, the question they asked was this, and I think this is the, the key message again of Matthew. Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? See, that shows us this, this very clear pattern and picture. They didn't say, where is he? Um, that has come to save the world as savior. Of course, that's important. When you study in the book of Mark, the shepherds are concerned with the savior, but the wise men are concerned in Matthew with the king because this is about his kingship. So they literally go before the elders of Israel. They go before uh, uh, they go before Herod, and they are asking and they're looking for the king of the Jews. They're looking for the king. It is the king that is being revealed. It's so interesting that these wise men are echoing. Matthew starts off by revealing that he is the son of David, the, the, the rightful heir to the throne, the king of Israel. He says he's the son of Abraham. He is the one who has right over the land of Israel. Now the wise men who have come to visit have literally come to also seek the king. And we're seeing that this is about his kingship. So there's so much going on in, in, in Matthew Matthew's gospel. I think I want to try and wrap up on this. Matthew's gospel is really about the fulfilling of prophecy because what you find is up until this time, the people are prophetically, can I say they're prophetically uh, 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 dehydrated, okay? But then this, the book of Matthew just captures this avalanche of prophecy being fulfilled. Um, um, you know, the, the, the word fulfilled uh, uh, that it might be fulfilled is used probably about 15 times in the book of Matthew. And all these things that are happening is the fulfillment of prophecy after a very, 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 very long wait. Another interesting thing in Matthew we see is that after Jesus has been found and worshipped, Herod was, was, was literally going after him and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him something so interesting and told him that he should go to Egypt. He should run to Egypt with the child. And the Bible says that this was to fulfill the prophecy that said, out of Egypt have I called my son. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Wow, this is, this is so powerful what we are learning. That prophecy is, is in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. Out of Egypt have I called my son. It, it, isn't, isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ would have to go to the very same place where um, the history of the, the, Israel, the, the Israelite nation was formed? The same place, the same Egypt they are called out for, from is the same place that he's called out from and sent you know, into Israel. Well, these are exciting things. So many prophecies being fulfilled here. So by the time John gets on the scene and he begins to declare the things he's declaring, what we are seeing is the fulfillment of prophecy. We are going to continue studying Matthew. Uh, we're going to start, we're going to continue that next week uh, at our 
uh, discipleship series, but I've, I've just tried to capture as much as possible. I know, try to condense as much as possible here because there's a lot, there's a lot. But what we are seeing here is that Matthew is taking time to reveal the kingly nature of Christ and his kingly assignment to the Jewish people, showing us the legitimate claims and the fulfillment of prophecy. That gets me excited. The fulfillment of the word of God. There are prophecies in Matthew that are being fulfilled as event upon uh, event takes place. Uh, event event surpasses event as we move from one event to the other event. Now you can still join the diving discipleship project. You can still join. Uh, you can literally follow the Eventbrite link below, and um, it will be great to study God's word with you. We are taking a season one for eight weeks. We're just, we just concluded our second week. So there's about six more weeks to go and you can join. We're going to continue with Matthew's study uh, next week. And I'm excited for what God is going to do. Well, God bless you. I look forward to catching you next week.